me again, amen? I'm fired up about the sermon this morning, and the first service was just a bit of sleep, I'll be honest with you. So I'm expecting better from you today, all right? Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 40. Psalm 40, as we continue our walk through the book of Psalms, we come this morning to an encouraging and hopeful passage of Scripture, which I believe God is going to use in our lives, and not only in our lives, if we listen to it well, God is going to use it in the lives of those around us. If we apply what is said today, then I believe this week, listen, if we apply what we see today, this week we can lead some people to Jesus Christ. And I'm excited and encouraged about that. At our wedding, in the middle of our wedding, we had a little time where my parents and Andrea's parents come, came and they prayed over us. And while they were doing that, we had a friend of ours on the piano sing Andre Crouch's My Tribute. You may know this song. It says, how can I say thanks for the things that you've done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and all that I ever hope to be, I owe it all to you. To God be the glory, to God be the glory, to God be the glory, great things he has done. We wanted to sing that on our wedding for a few reasons. We wanted our wedding to be a Christ-centered, gospel-centered ceremony where we're reminding people that this, this uh, ceremony only exists to point people to the love relationship that they can have with Jesus Christ. We wanted to preach the gospel. We also wanted to be mindful of just how much God has blessed both of us. Andrea and I just have been blessed. God gave us great parents that loved us and prayed for us and uh, led us in the right direction. And we were really there in that moment as a testimony uh, to God's grace in our lives. I personally wanted to sing it because I wanted to make sure that everyone knew that in that moment at the wedding, I was not oblivious to that which was most obvious. I wanted to make sure that I, like everyone else in the room, was also wondering why Andrea was marrying me. Now, I'm not just saying that. The night before our wedding at our rehearsal dinner, Andrea's brother stood up in a time in which everyone was supposed to say encouraging things and said this, when Andrea first brought Josh home, I knew immediately there's no way she's gonna go for this guy. That's the affirmation I got. So I was just hoping no more people said that so she would back out at the last minute. But I wanted to make sure that everyone knew at that wedding I was aware of how surprising this whole moment was and I just wanted to say thank you, Lord. I don't deserve this, but I'm really, really grateful. You know, Ryan and I have offices right across from each other, which means that we have conversations with neither one of us leaving our desk so that everyone in the hallway can hear. My secretary could write a book on the things that we say to one another. But one of my roles in Ryan's life is to encourage him and affirm him and build him up and just continue to speak words of life to him. So one of the things I often say to him is this, Ryan, you realize that you would be nowhere and have absolutely nothing. Your entire life would be an absolute waste if it wasn't for Lindsay Wingo. To which he then says to me, Josh, you know that if you would not have brought Andrea with you to your meeting with the search committee, they would have never hired you at Prince Avenue Baptist Church. She's the only thing good you've got going. So we're both very aware of this and constantly say, Lord, thank you. But one of the things I've realized is that the more I walk with Jesus, the more I get to know him, the more I experience an intimacy with him, the more I know myself through his word, the more overwhelmed I am by all that God has given me and how little of it I deserve. It is incredible in an increasing manner over and over and over. God continues to show me that everything I have is a gracious gift of him and I don't deserve a thing. 
And I think Andre Crouch asked a good question. How could we say thanks for the things God has done for us, things so undeserved? And the answer is in Psalm 40. Psalm 40 not only reminds us of the good things God has done for us, it shows us how mindful of those things we can then give a Christ-honoring, God-exalting, kingdom-advancing response to the good things that God has done. But before we see how we respond to those things, let me remind you of the little context from Psalm 40. Now, throughout the Psalms, there are these little groups of Psalms that go together. Not all of the Psalms, but there are some little groupings. Psalm 38 through Psalm 40 is a little group of three Psalms that go together. Psalm 38 shows us what it's like to be under the discipline of the Lord. Now, reminds us that God loves us and cares about us and as believers in Jesus Christ, those who have trusted Christ and have made him the Lord of our lives, we have to keep taking ourselves back to Romans 8, that God is for us and not against us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If he justified us, he's gonna glorify us and see us through and there is nothing ever, nothing we can do, nothing in all of heaven and earth that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We need to remember that because sometimes our circumstances don't appear that way. And so it is, Psalm 38 is what it's like when you walk in the continual rebellion to the Lord as a believer, that you continue to say no to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to change, and you fall under the discipline of the Lord. It is a loving discipline. It is not punitive. He's not angry. He's not trying to get back at you. There's no condemnation, but he's a loving father. And so sometimes because of our sin, sometimes God disciplines just because he's trying to lead us in the path of righteousness and give us a little correction. But that discipline, which can be painful, is also loving and hopeful. But Psalm 38 tells us about that painful discipline relationally, emotionally, spiritually, all kind of physically, the difficulty of being under the discipline of the Lord. Now Psalm 39, that continued discipline, not only affects the external man, but it begins to affect the heart. So what is happening in Psalm 39 is you're trying to keep all of this in. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm gonna put a muzzle on my mouth and I'm gonna bury all of my questions. But it says in Psalm 39, to no avail, you can't keep it buried forever. And so the psalmist pours out his heart to God and says, God, this all seems futile. I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand this. God, I don't even know if this life has any meaning anymore. God, I'm waiting for you. Would you please show me something and do something? So two chapters of lament, the difficulty of walking with the Lord and the questions inside of our heart and the circumstances externally, which really sometimes make it feel like life is falling apart. But the presence of Psalm 40 reminds us that even in our darkest moments, there is still a God who is loving and present and has something good in store for us because we are confident from Romans 8 that God is always for us, never against us. He is always working things for our good so you can be confident in every single moment of your life, God is up to something good, amen? And Psalm 40 reminds us of that. It shows us what it's like to be on the other side, to now be experiencing the good grace of the Lord. It tells us then, how do we respond when God pours out that grace to us? So if you're there in Psalm 40, say amen. Let me read it for us. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth and a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. 
You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offerings you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Verse 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number and my iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. If you were listening carefully, you might notice a little bit of a distinction in tone between verses 10 and 11. It almost seems to be two different psalms. There is this first part of a lot of praise and rejoicing to the Lord, and then all of a sudden, we seem to quickly go back to lament. But the reality is these two things are working together, both showing us an appropriate response to the Lord for the good things he has done in our life. If the Lord has done something good in your life, say amen. This is telling us, How do we respond? How do we give thanks to that? Let me give you two ways. The first one is this. We give praise for what God has done. We give praise for what God has done. That sounds simple, but I'm gonna show you what it means to actually praise God for what he has done. It begins with David's circumstance. He is in a bad place. Look at what it says in verse two. We, we would already know this if we read 38 and 39, but he says, I was in the pit of destruction and a miry bog. Let's picture it together a little bit. A pit is this idea of like a well. Imagine David being thrown down into a well, but that word destruction means a situation in which there is no hope, a situation in which there is no relief, a situation in which there doesn't seem to be any salvation. He said, I've been thrown into a pit, a well in which there doesn't seem to be any help. But he says it's also a a miry bog. It would be one thing to be thrown into a pit and at the bottom of the pit there be a solid foundation, uh, rocks on the bottom of the well or concrete on the bottom of the well, but this is not the case. A miry bog means a, a muddy, wet substance where that every time you step, you sink a little more. You may have never been in this kind of situation, but you can imagine if you take a step, you sink further, and you realize that if you keep stepping, you're gonna get lower and lower and lower. So here we are at the bottom of a well. It's dark, it's lonely. We don't think anyone can hear us. We cry for help, but it just echoes and no one seems to respond. And the more we try to get out, the deeper we sink. And so the only hope is just to hope that someone does something and hears our cry. 
So David in that circumstance says that while he was there in the pit of destruction, in the miry bog, the Lord does five things. Look at them together. It says the Lord inclined to me, if you mark in your Bible, these would be great to circle or underline, inclined, heard my cry, drew me up, set my feet upon a rock, and put a new song in my mouth. So it says that David, in this circumstances, waited on the Lord. Now, look at those words where it says waited patiently for the Lord. It's really interesting what happens here because that word waited is repeated twice. It's the same word in Hebrew. So it really says, I waited, yes, I waited on the Lord. But that word waited means this, to look forward to the arrival of something. That's what the word waited means. It's not just a passive sitting there and doing nothing. No, it's looking forward to the arrival of something. It means you expect something, you believe something, you trust something, you hope something. So David is saying that when I was in this place and no one knew I was there, when I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, I was waiting, I was looking for the arrival of someone and it was the arrival of the Lord. And he says, as I cried to the Lord and waited upon his arrival, then the first thing he did is he inclined to me. I want you to look at me for just a minute. I want you to see what that word inclined means. The word inclined means to do this, to do this, to somehow communicate through nonverbals that I'm listening. Now, some of you may understand this if you're a parent. I have discovered my children know when they speak to me and I'm not listening. One of my daughters the other day said something to me that I didn't realize was true, but now that she's said it, I've seen it over and over. She says, Dad, when we speak to you and you don't hear us, you just respond by going, huh, that's funny. Even if we don't say something funny, that's just your default response. Oh, that's funny. Dad, did you hear me? Huh? I know that they experienced that because I experienced that with my father. We all know that glazed over look when you're speaking and you know they're not listening. They just say, well, that's, that's funny. Well, Dad, I just told you something sad. There's something about knowing that someone is, they're in the posture to listen. What it says is this, the Lord's posture in the pit is he's listening, he, he's ready, he's inclining to us. What that means is this, is there is never a moment in your life in which the posture of the Lord is not this. He's inclining to you. Whatever circumstance you're in this morning, I want you to see the Lord doing this. He's ready to hear and to receive. And so he says, I knew the Lord was like this, so I cried and he heard. He heard me. He knew exactly what I was saying. And then what did he do? Well, look, he drew me up from the pit of destruction. In that place in which there seemed to be no salvation and new hope, the Lord reached down and he picked me up and he pulled me up. He not only did that, but he set my feet up on a rock. He saved me and he secured me. The very opposite of a miry bog is a solid rock. He took me out of that circumstance. He lifted me up in a way that no one else could have and he set me on a rock and then he did this. He put a new song in my mouth. Now here's the reason the word new is important. Remember I told you last week that David as he's kind of thinking about what's going on in his heart and he's trying to keep a lid on it but he can't. He just explodes to the Lord and tells the Lord all of his frustration. He makes this extremely depressing journal entry and then he takes it to the worship leader and says, I think you ought to put this to music and we should sing it on Sunday morning. 
That's what he does in Psalm 39. He says, I've got a really depressing song. Let's get the church together and why don't you put it to some music and some minor keys and we'll sing it together. So listen, David already had a song, but now he's got a new song. He had a sad song, now he has a joyful song. He had a muzzle on his mouth, now he has a microphone in his hand and the song he has, it says, is a song of praise to our God. A dramatic departure from Psalm 39. God has changed his disposition from the inside out. Now what is flowing out of him is rivers of living water because the very spirit of God has now been put inside of him. And then it says this, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. David says right there, here's what God has done for me and I know that what God has done in Psalm 38 and 39 and 40 was not only for my good and for God's glory, listen, but for the benefit of those who will see it and respond to it. Church, Psalm 40 verses one through three is the testimony of every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've ever thought, well, how do I put together my testimony? What does it look like to share my testimony? Just go to Psalm 40, one through three, and you will right there find an outline of how to share your testimony. Here it is. You were sinking in sin, in the pit of destruction, with no hope in this life, living in darkness, with no one seeming to care, and no hope in the next life. You were gonna die in your sin. You were spiritually dead, spiritually disobedient, and spiritually doomed, but God was listening. And as you called upon the name of the Lord and acknowledged your helplessness and your sin, God sent his son in love, Jesus Christ, who did not just come to get you out of the pit, he got in the pit himself. And by getting into the pit, he allowed there to be a way for you to come out of the pit, and then, through trust and faith in Christ, he secured you and he sealed you with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, where do you see that he sealed you? Because Ephesians 5 says this, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you have a song of praise in your heart. How do you know if you're filled with the Spirit? Well, there's a song of praise in your heart. If there's a song of praise in your heart, you're filled with the Spirit. So it says the Lord has saved you, he has secured you, and he has sealed you with the Spirit of God. This is the testimony of every believer. And it also reminds us that as a believer, every circumstance in your life, listen to me, was not simply about you. It was about God giving you a testimony so someone else would hear it and be changed because of it. I don't know what your past was like. I don't know what God brought you through. I don't know what you're going through now. All I know is this. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, every single moment of your life is ordained by the heavenly Father and he's going to use it as a testimony to the Lord. David's testimony is our testimony. And so how do we respond to that? When we think about the Lord rescuing us and securing us and sealing us and giving us a new song, a a song of praise, well, look what it says in verse four. It says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud and to those who go astray. I love this because David is just reflecting. This is what he's doing. Remember, he's, he's journaling. He says, it's just so good to know the Lord. He says there are some who find themselves in a pit and you know what they do? They get proud, they get arrogant and they're not gonna call upon the name of the Lord because they think they can save themselves. There's others that are gonna follow a lie and they're gonna try to let someone else get them out of the pit but all of them will end up in destruction. None of them will be saved but blessed is the one who trusts the Lord. Blessed is the one who calls upon the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who calls out for the Lord to save them. 
Then he says in verse five, you have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I want you to notice a few words in that verse. It talks about the Lord's deeds and thoughts toward you. Not anybody else, just you. How God thinks about you and what God has done for you. And it says that his words and his thoughts have been multiplied to you in verse five. That word multiplied means an infinite number. Church, I pray somehow God would help you to grasp that God has an infinite number of thoughts towards you and is doing an infinite number of good things in your life. There is never a moment in which God is not thinking about you. There is never a moment in which God is not working for you. God is always doing something. He's always behind the scenes in ways that we cannot even comprehend. The scope of all that God is doing through the circumstances in your life is beyond anything we could understand. There is an infinite number of thoughts God has for you and an infinite number of good deeds God is doing on your behalf, amen? An infinite number. He even says this, I'm gonna proclaim and tell them but they're more than can be told. Why? Because there's an infinite number. If you were to start this moment and every word of your mouth till the moment you die was praise to the Lord, you would not come close to saying everything that God has done for you. If the only words that ever came out of your mouth from this moment to the last moment was just praise specifically of what God has done, you would never be able to say everything that he's done for you and how he thinks about you. Right now, in this moment, He's thinking about you, he's working for you, and he's in this posture waiting for you to call upon his name. As David is reflecting upon the good things of the Lord, he just can't help but to proclaim what God has done. Now, verses six through eight seem a little bit odd. They seem a little bit out of place. Look at what it says. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offerings you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come, and the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. It's almost as if David is reflecting. He's overwhelmed by God's goodness, and then he says this. Well, well God, how can I repay you? God, what can I do? I'm a debtor. <laughs> I'm a debtor to your grace. I'm a debtor. I, you, you never stop thinking about you. You never stop working for me. And, and God, I don't think about you much, and I haven't given you the praise you deserve. What can I do? God, I owe you. And then it says this, well, God doesn't need your sacrifices. He doesn't need your offering. What he's looking for is your delight. It's almost as if right at that moment, as David is thinking, God, I've got to repay you. I'm a debtor to you. The Lord says, I don't want you to serve me as a debtor. I want you to serve me out of delight. It is my delight to do your will. I told you this a couple of weeks ago, that duty is not a great motive for obedience. Delight is a better motive for obedience. Now, sometimes we do things because God has called us to and we don't feel like it. But the reality is, as we we're told in Psalm 37, to delight ourselves in the Lord. And as we seek him and as we get to know him, I assure you, the more you know him, the more you will love him and enjoy him. The reason I just plead with you to get to know him more is because I promise the more you know him, the more you're gonna like him and enjoy him. So he says this, don't live with this constant sense that you have a, an obligation to serve the Lord, that God is gonna be pleased if you don't repay the debt. You can never repay the debt. Instead, delight yourself in the Lord and out of a delightful heart, give praise to what he has done. Now what's amazing is in Hebrews 10, it quotes those little verses in seven and eight and says that this is the Lord Jesus speaking. I have come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is written within my heart. 
because Jesus is our model in this. And it tells us in Hebrews 12 that for the joy set before him, Jesus despised the shame and endured the suffering of the cross because of the joy set before him. The Lord Jesus delighted to do the will of God because he knew that there was joy in it. And so it is the model for us is out of delight and joy for all of God has done, we continue to serve him. And that's exactly what leads him to do what he does next. He says, so I've told the glad news of deliverance. Hey, you know a great definition of the gospel? Glad news of deliverance. That's what the gospel is. Right there, the, the gospel is glad news of deliverance. I've told it in the congregation, look, and, look, I have not restrained my lips. I have not hidden your deliverance, but I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love or your faithfulness in the congregation. Our response to God's intervention is always declaration. Our response to intervention is always declaration. So here's what he says. He says, listen, I have saved you, I have secured you, I have sealed you, and I have given you a testimony to share that God is wanting you to proclaim the good things that he has done for you. Now, I was thinking this week about evangelism training. The church has to do evangelism training. We have to get you tools and put tools in your toolbox on how to start a conversation and how to get through the facts of the gospel, whether it be EE or Three Circles or CWT, whatever. I've done tons of them and you have too. But what I've realized is this, is that a person can go through a thousand evangelism trainings and never be a good evangelist. You can know all the facts and leave knowing the facts but never be a good evangelist. What I've discovered is this, the person that makes the best evangelist is someone who loves Jesus. Someone who's excited about Jesus. Someone who has a testimony about what Jesus has done for them. And as they begin to think about the Lord and get to know the Lord and get excited about the Lord, what happens is this, is out of an overflow of their heart, they just can't help but to praise the Lord. And the greatest way that you can respond to the things that God has done for you is you publicly give the Lord praise for the things that he has done for you. David says, listen, God has done so much for me and I just can't keep my mouth shut because I'm so overwhelmed by God's goodness. He never stops thinking. He never stops working. So I will praise the Lord. So when I say our response to God's kindness is praising the Lord, it's not just coming in here and singing a song. It's not just saying praise the Lord. It's allowing from the overflow of our heart and awareness of what God has done moment by moment to never stop verbally praising God in every moment, in every circumstance, the praise of God coming out of our mouths so that others see it and trust the Lord as well. There is someone this week that needs your testimony. There is someone this week that God has set out before you that you're gonna come in contact with this week that needs your testimony. And if you will simply tell what God has done for you and give him praise, God will prepare their hearts and someone might get saved by hearing what God has done in your life. Because God can do the same for them. How do we know that? Because he's inclined to hear. We praise God for what he has done. But the next response, the final response is in verses 11 through 17. We not only praise God for what he's done, we pray for God to do it again. We pray for God to do it again. This is such an interesting little section right here in verses 11 through 18 because after 10 verses of praise for what God's done, he just starts asking for more. He seems desperate. What he says, he says, preserve me, O God, verse 11, 
Evil has encompassed me. Iniquities have overtaken me. I can't see. My heart fails me. So deliver me. Make haste to help me. Look at that phrase in verse 13. He says it twice. Hurry up, Lord, and help me. Hurry, hurry. Make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame who come against me and try to snatch away my life. Let them be appalled because of my shame. He says in verse 17, because I'm poor and, and needy. You're my help and my deliverer. Hurry up, Lord. Don't delay. Oh, my God. To be honest, I, I read this and I thought, what's this guy's deal? Like, he was doing so good. Like, two chapters of just depression. And you come to Psalm 40 and I said, finally, because I got to be honest, like, I, I'm kind of tired of preaching laments to you every Sunday. Like, I was, I was excited to get to Psalm 40. We need some, just some happy psalms. And then we get a half of one, and then all of a sudden he goes right back there. And you think, what, what is going on with this guy? And how is this a, a pleasing response to what God has done? How is it that he can go from all of this praise to this constant plea and prayer of God, preserve me, and my heart fails, and I can't see, and deliver, and help, and, and hurry up, my God? You know, there's a lot of scholars or commentators that would say that this should have been two psalms. These things don't go together. They'll say, well, we should have stopped right at verse 10, and verse 11 should have been Psalm 41. But let me tell you why that's not true. Because when you want to give God glory for the good things that he's done, you not only thank him for what he's done, but you keep asking him to do it again. Because in your very best moment, when you feel as secure and sealed and filled with the Spirit as you ever have before, you are still a poor and needy sinner that needs the grace of God every moment of the day. Right at the end, he says, I'm a poor and needy sinner. God, you gotta keep helping me. You gotta keep delivering me. These things go perfectly together. Because the reality is we always find ourselves in a moment like this. Our lives are like this. They're up and they're down and they're up and they're down. And the reality is, is there will never be a moment in which we don't know God, need God. Listen to me. It is not presumptuous to keep asking the Lord to do it again. It's pleasing to the Lord when you ask him to do it again. You know, there is never a moment in when God is tired of you asking again. He says, ask and keep asking. He says, be persistent, keep knocking. God always is wanting to do things for you and you are always in need. So the very disposition of our life is the moment God does something, you know what? We ask him to do it again. And it's not presumptuous. It doesn't annoy him. It doesn't bother him. It is glorifying to him when you tell him you're poor and needy and ask him to come and help because you're demonstrating your need and his sufficiency. Because God doesn't wanna give you one testimony, he wants to give you a thousand testimonies. Next time someone asks you your testimony, say this, which one? <laughs> which one? Hopefully, Lord willing, you have that first testimony when you saw your sin and your hopelessness and you called upon the name of the Lord and you trusted Jesus' death as a sufficient payment for your sins, you say, Lord, save me. I want a new life with you. And then you trusted the Lord and followed him as the Lord of your life. That's the first one. But you know what God wants to do from that moment is give you testimony after testimony after testimony to such an extent that your life is just one consistent testimony of your desperate need and God's constant intervention. God wants to give you testimony after testimony and new song after new song that every moment, every day, may be a new revelation of how God wants to work in your life. You say, well, God, how do, I, how do I thank you for all that you've done? 
Will you praise him for what he's done and you ask him to do it again? I told you in my midweek video this week that the verse that God continues to give me for you and it's deep in my heart is Philippians 1.25, that God may keep me here for your joy and progress in the faith. I can't express how deeply that's in my heart. I, I want God to use me in my time here to increase your joy and to increase your progress. I want you to go further and I want you to love Jesus and be more excited about him than you ever have before. And as I read Psalm 40, verse 16, I realized that's exactly what it says. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. So the reason I continue to plead with you to just seek the Lord, to spend time with him, is because as you do, you will rejoice and be glad. And may those who love your salvation continually say, great is the Lord. That as you seek him and as you get to know him, that you will have greater affection for him, then you will have greater desire for him and you will work more for him out of a sense of delight and not just duty. Psalm 116 says it this way, listen. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? I will lift up my cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. God, what shall I do for all of the benefits? You, you do this, you lift up the cup of salvation and you call upon the name of the Lord, meaning this, is you ask the Lord to fill you up, he fills you, you drink and you put it up and say, Lord, do it again. And you drink and you say, Lord, do it again. And you drink and you say, Lord, do it again. That's life. Every moment of the day, Lord, my cup's empty, fill it up. He fills it up, we drink, we're satisfied, and in a moment we're thirsty again. So instead of going to something else, we just go back to the Lord. And every time we walk in that posture, the Lord gets glory for what he has done and for what he's going to continue to do. The church, some of you for the very first time this morning need to call upon the name of the Lord. You are not in a secure place. You're in a dangerous place because you haven't trusted Christ. Can I plead with you this morning to know that God is hearing you, he's inclined to you, he's doing this right now, and all you have to do is say, Lord, save me. If you have never done that before, I plead with you. When we sing in just a moment, call upon the name, we'll ask him to save you, and he will save you and secure you and seal you with his spirit and give you a new song. And I can I plead with you to do one thing. This week, whether it's this testimony or a thousand other testimonies, God has prepared someone to hear from you this week. Share your testimony so that God gets the glory for what he's done and then just keep asking him to do it again. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together this morning.